Welcome to the Come to Life podcast, where we take a look at our daily lives from a biblical perspective. I'm Larry. And I'm Peter, and we're with the San Luis Obispo Christadelphian Ecclesia, which sponsors this podcast. With us is Dr. David Reynolds, who has a Bachelor of Science with Honors, PhD in Molecular Life Sciences. He has publications in journals including Molecular Cell, Current Biology. He also has two patents in Cardiac Lineage Differentiation and endoderm lineage differentiation. David's areas of research have included molecular immunology, breast cancer, developmental biology, and he has 20 years experience working in the field since completing his PhD. With him also is his wife and my sister, Carrie Reynolds, who has a graduate diploma of psychology, a bachelor of psychological science with honors, and she is partway through a master of psychology for clinical services. So welcome, David and Carrie. Yeah, well, oh, thank you. Hello, thank you. Welcome to the show. All right. So, this is a bit of an ambitious request, but <laughs> could you please give a definition of evolution? Yeah, I can give that one a go. So, uh, the theory of evolution uh, is the formation of life uh, from a single event from where nothing existed to forming all life as we know it through a series of uh, changes forced on, on, on nature through different environmental conditions. All right, so what basically that means is as a stepwise process going from the most basic form of life to the more complex form of life, which we would call ourselves. Okay. And so, this is all done by random chance. Okay. So what is life? What is the smallest form of life that we know of now? Well, if we, if we think about life as we would know it, um, from, a, from a biology point of view, I would take it, uh, it would be a single cell organism. Okay. Like a bacteria, um, like a yeast cell, things that you might, that might have heard of out there in nature okay and so the single event that we're talking about obviously uh, we know one is probably the the big bang yeah uh yeah. what what else what other sources might there be well from uh if we're talking uh from the scientific community right um there are i guess there are two fa two areas of uh um theory in in the in science one is the big bang which uh, is the formation of life through evolution and random chance uh, that is the the, the entire uh, universe whereas the other side is an intelligent design uh an intelligent designer that actually had purpose behind uh the nature as we see it today okay is there room for both do you think 
people that are both creationist and feel that maybe the literal day it wasn't an actual 24-hour period or similar it's you know like maybe it's that space and space and time or a just a section of time rather yeah i know i know what you're trying to say you're trying to say yeah <laughs> literal 24 hours was it yeah yeah thousands of years in, right. in that space or billions of years as, as evolution would actually put it um the uh, it, it depends on what perspective you take it from um now, if you take it from believing in the Bible, um, you would say, no, you can't, you know, it can't coexist. Because in the Bible, it actually says, you know, each day of creation, it says that a day and the night were the first day or the second day or the third day. So it was actually a specific 24-hour period. Um, and uh, so therefore that, that disconnects between having a large amount of time uh, in each day of creation, per se. So... You, you, you as a scientist, this is more of a personal, I guess, question, but you as a scientist, uh, uh, through, through your studies, you've had to have come across different theories in evolution and, and things that would uh, maybe in someone's mind debunk uh, what a creationist, creationist believes. Uh, um, how have you kept your faith so strong? That well, I, I, yeah, yes. well, if you really think about, oh, let me maybe give you a slight background of where I come from. Uh, when you look at the molecular biologies or molecular life sciences, you're looking at the very small uh, uh, elements that actually make up life. All right, so you're looking at the very you can't even see them under a microscope per se. All right, so you're looking at uh, things called DNA, um, RNA, uh, and proteins which are in cells. Okay, so our cells. So take for for existence, uh, an average person might have 10 trillion cells in their body. All right, so 10 trillion cells, and in each of those cells, you have information, uh, which you're, or you've heard, everyone's heard of genes and genetic information. So there's your genetic information in the form of DNA in, in most of those cells in your body. All right, so what we do as molecular biologists, we look at that DNA and the mechanisms that uh, control uh, the, uh, the expression or the outworking of that DNA uh, to cause life, all right? So when you start looking at that sort of the detail and, and you start getting down there, for me, uh, from a personal view and, and actually experiencing this, you can't, you can't see how, the, uh, how this could have developed by chance. The complexity which we can see within uh, that molecular biology um, actually negates the, the the ability for this to actually form by chance. And if you, if you take, for, for a simple example, we might have a, a gene or which causes, which makes a protein. So uh, it might be uh, 2,000 uh, bases long. So the actual code of that gene is, is 2,000 bases long. If we just take the first 100 bases, all right, uh, and have a look at the probability of that sequence of bases to come together, you would actually find that it would be one times 10 to the 60, which is 1 billion times 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 1 billion chance of actually happening. All right, so that you start talking at just a hundred base pairs or a hundred of these uh, sequence, um, 
you're actually talking about a, a, an extraordinary improbable event occurring. Now, if you take the the fact that we have, uh, oh, I, mean, I just can't think of the numbers of actually, give me a second. Uh, if you take into account that uh, in our bio, in our DNA itself, we have uh, we have uh, 2.9 billion bases, all right, which form this sequence. So if I just told you a hundred bases will give you this 10 to the 60, well, how much would 2.9 billion bases would be? It'd be a number which you, you couldn't even fathom. No. Yeah. All right. So and this, this, this happened, this, this sequence being put together uh, had to have been designed because of what it actually does and how it all interacts with each other. Okay. Yeah. And I, uh, I could go on. Do you want to say anything before I keep going on? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, it's, but of course, of course, someone's going to say, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I've heard, look, I've heard arguments, right? So I've heard arguments if you had a, a, a billion planets, uh, uh, you know, that potentially work out that it could, by chance, it could happen. Yeah. But we're not talking... We're not talking in, in circumstances of, of a billion. We're talking in numbers way outside of that type of uh, probability. Um, and then the thing you have to think about is, well, there, there, so so let's take back step back to DNA. What does DNA do? It encodes for something called protein. All right? And, and what is protein? Protein is what does the work in your body. All right? So, so for instance, you know, your, your eye color. That's uh, from a protein. Okay. The you know the um, you know the in in your blood you have that hemoglobin which you know carries oxygen around your body. Yeah. All right. So these these proteins are encoded in your DNA. Now, if I told you that these proteins are encoded in your DNA, but you need protein to actually read the code to make protein. All right. Then I also say to you, well. Every time your cell divides, you need protein to replicate your DNA. So these things are intertwined together, and they need each other to exist. Then it comes to the question would come then, what is what came first, the chicken or the egg, the DNA or the protein? All right, so what is actually the first step in actually putting it all together? Yeah, and I guess that's, that's actually a good point um, to kind of sidetrack a bit. So I've heard people say that, the idea of creation and the idea of evolution, they don't necessarily always need to be talked about at the same time, you know, um, where we are going to get into creation through this conversation. But um, we should acknowledge that evolutionists don't believe or don't um, understand what was before that, correct? There's, there's no, okay. Like what, before the Big Bang? Right, before the Big Bang, where did that right. come from? Where did those materials come from, right? As yeah. far as I know, there's no, there's no explanation, correct? Yeah, there's no explanation. So that's getting into the, the you know, realm of physics yeah. um, and cosmology. Um, and no, they'll say that there was a singularity, and, and that's what they'll say that was. The, the Big Bang was a singularity, meaning something that happened once, for reasons that nobody can explain, cannot be replicated, cannot ever happen again, and nobody knows why it happened. And, and, and no, they, they have no answer for how or why it happened, whereas we do. 
I think that would <laughs> require, yeah, <laughs> require a lot of faith, I think, to, to believe yeah. that. It's complete faith. Yeah. It's only faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, faith and theory. I think that's, that's an important point, though, if you think about what Larry, Larry just said, was that in both both creation and in evolution, there's an underpinning of faith. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. You have to take a supposition, right? A supposition that evolution is true or a supposition that God exists. Yeah. Uh, so there's both faith-based systems. So I'm, I'm going to jump in here and just sort of point out to David the stuff he's not saying, <laughs> is that when they ask you the question, is it is it possible? One one of the things you should have said about the the literal six no. days is that no matter even if you had ten billion years, no. you still not you you could not have yeah, come yeah. up with the jumps in some existence of life, progression, evolution of life right. to this higher you know yeah. order that that can't be replicated. No, no matter if you had a day or 10 billion years it could not have happened on its own so no there's no reason to believe creation and evolution it's just what i have found um is that the people who say they believe the bible and that they believe evolution as well is that they feel um sort of overpowered and outgunned by scientists who are not telling them all the information they're sort of telling what they want you to focus on and they're not telling you what they're not telling you Mm. and they they feel outclassed, out-educated, outgunned. They don't know how to answer it and say, well, they must be right. They're the scientists. And they go, well, but I believe in God. So maybe God just did it through science because the scientists are telling me evolution is a proven fact. No, it's not a proven fact. So that that's who I have found believing both at the same time. <clears throat> so there is a, I believe it was a Greek philosopher. I don't have it in front, in front of me. Uh, so I'm probably going to butcher it, but I don't know if it was five, around 500, BCE, and they were trying to, in my opinion, replace God with man, a man-made uh, explanation of where we came from, where humans came from. So um, the, philosoph- the philosopher thought, well, since humans are one of the very few babies that can't just take care of themselves naturally or by instinct, that um, we we couldn't have... and, and uh, an adult wasn't created to take care of the first baby. So, so somehow it came back to where we came from some uh, a fish because fish laid eggs and, and on and on and on. But um, sort of, I mean, that seems pretty, pretty far, far reaching, I think, um, just to try to, yeah. I think, remove God from, from the answer yeah. of where we came from. Yeah, and I think that goes to people's point that, well, what, what is evolution? It's, you know, natural selection. It's selecting, you know, mutations, selecting for improvements in whatever the species happens to be, and then they differentiate in different directions of what they'll say. Except for the fact that with, you know, in the universe again, with the law of entropy, we know that things tend towards chaos, not towards order when they're left to themselves. And mutations invariably are negative for the species and they eliminate certain individuals out of the genetic pool because they have evolved, you know, if according to them, they would have evolved a mutation that was not beneficial because it has to, to, you know, keep that, you know, new mutation. It has to be beneficial. It has to be beneficial immediately. And then if you think about things like we need male and female for all most, you know, higher order life, male, female, you need, you know, sexual reproduction, then you needed two, a male to have that 
mutation and a female to have that mutation. And if you just think about something like a panda who ovulates once a year, they had to also <laughs> have mutated a male and a female right at the point when they could mate together and create the next one or that mutation would be lost because there was no purpose to it. It would only be kept and preserved and passed on to another generation if it served a purpose. Otherwise, according to evolution, it would just fade off the scene. And, and we yeah. just know that mutations do not usually improve a, a, an individual or a species. Mutations tend to, you know, eliminate that one out of the genetic pool. So on a lot of reasons, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And there was a, there was a Darwin quote <clears throat> since I mentioned it earlier um, that I, I think civilization has pretty much proven wrong on this, on this point. Um, that it's not necessarily the smartest or the strongest who survive; it's the ones who can adapt the, the best. And I think you see, you see, like in sports, uh, new records are being, um, you know, broken. Well, every year, uh, the average height and size of people uh, seems to be getting larger. People are getting stronger. People become more intelligent. He lived before, you know, our most recent technological advances that we've had. Um, that just seems just seems almost out of this world, really. Um, if you look back a hundred years, <laughs> just for technology. Mm -hmm. But uh, he de definitely, if he would have maybe lived to see that, maybe not have, maybe he wouldn't have had that quote. Um, but in in his point, just to be adaptable means you're more, you know, you th those organisms or well, people even are going to survive, whereas the other ones. It doesn't really matter how smart or strong you are. I think he was bullied in school. I think that's. <laughs> and I think some some of the dangers with some of what um, Darwin and I believe it was his cousin Francis Galton, um, who ended up being um, the father of eugenics. And if you don't know eugenics, you know Hitler, and mm -hmm. you know what he, his purpose was, and he was basing it off of the idea of eugenics that there is you know, a, a, a better version and we can select intentionally towards it if we just only, you know, selectively breed like you would with dogs or something. It was along those lines that certain people were being born and, and we needed to sort of help evolution along by um, forced sterilization of certain people, forced, you know, mass killing of certain people to get them out of the genetic pool because we just needed to help it all along. It wasn't doing it by itself. So uh, there are some questionable things that came out of the theory of evolution as well. Um, beside the fact that, you know, we are what we are now and, and we don't seem to be changing if evolution was true, we're, we're human the way we've always been human. And so. if, you, if you think about it too, I mean, Darwin always based his, his theories off of what he observed in nature, right? Mm -hmm. And what he observed was, you know, maybe you know, one classic example people always talk about is the finches on Galapagos Islands, right? They had different finches and Galapagos Islands with different beak shapes and things like that. But the, 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 the thing that no one really actually acknowledges is they are still finches. Right? They are not a different species. They're not, they're not evolving to something different. They have an adaptation of a beak, different size, different type of beak, which allows them to eat different foods. And so they, they uh, adapt, but they're still a bird. Right? So there's these things you've got to take... Uh, 
got to really look at and say, oh, yeah, well, yeah, so, okay, adaptation in that sense. Oh, yeah, I can see that happening, but it's still a bird. And, and in the sense that, you know, not that birds, you know, had long beaks and then decided to change the beaks over time, but that the birds with the shorter beaks, they they were getting more food, they were able to find partners, they were living longer, and so the ones with the longer beaks just died out. Okay, so that would be an example of natural selection. But like David says, they're still birds. They they are not now some other kind of creature. They're just birds with a different beak yeah. because the ones with the long beaks died because they couldn't get the food. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess if in uh, just thinking of humans, if if you had the stronger immune system, you might survive versus the people who who didn't, and maybe um, that may have some or a little to do with um, like uh, autoimmune diseases that we we see, especially I mean a lot today, um, where if we're sort of overcompensating or over overworking, um, but you don't really see the reverse that much unless there's some kind of illness that's causing it, you know, yeah. like HIV or something like that. Maybe another example um, in humans would be the like the melanin in our skin. There's, I mean, no matter what your skin color is, you're still a human. It's just that maybe over time, people adapted to places where you're getting a lot more vitamin D. And then places where you weren't getting a lot of vitamin D, maybe you're, you know, the lighter skin helps you. I mean, I don't know. Um, that's a good example or not, but. Maybe, maybe not. And from sort of like a, a sociology point of view, you, people tend to stick with um, their in-group and, and whoever was sort of looking like themselves. So, you know, as people sort of went and lived in different, and we believe, you know, everybody began with Adam and Eve, right? And they had all the genetic potential among those those two individuals they had all the genetic potential for everything that came after them and as you know children were born those who looked similar probably would have grouped together you know similarly mm -hmm. um, and especially after the Tower of Babel that's one thing I always think about is the languages were changed people were grouped together by language um, at that point because they couldn't communicate anymore um, and they would have, you know, traveled off into separate groups together then. And one, I guess, you know, one sort of, um, genetic mutation that we can see in ourselves. And again, you can't reverse engineer this one is, um, once you've got blue eyes and blue eyed you know, people having children, you can't go back to the brown eyes. The blue eye is the mutation. Mm. And at that point, you know, a group who only had blue eyes are only capable of blue eyes and they'll keep looking like that. And a group who looks a different way are going to keep, you know, looking like themselves unless there's a mutation. But again, we're all human. <laughs> we'll have you know, eyes and nose and faces and mouths and, you know, capability for language and love and community and all the rest of it. We're, we're all human. We just might look a little different. <laughs> yeah, I'd heard that the, everyone with blue eyes that can be traced back to one single person with that mutation which makes sense because yeah. otherwise why would yeah. it happen? Yeah. 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 And I think red hair too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, red hair and what is it? Red hair, green eyes is the most, uh, the rarest, I think. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's like a little thing. It's sort of difficult to keep going on evolution without talking about creation. I think, um, I sort of, I, I don't know. This could be just me and, and maybe not true, but it seems like uh, evolutionist theory is more to debunk creation versus p 
people that believe in creation aren't, I don't see a lot of them out there trying to debunk evolution necessarily. Um, like they don't really have to, but yeah, I like, I have my faith. Uh, I know what I believe and, and, uh, that there was a, a creator and so I don't really care about <laughs> evolution. Um, and then some, some, uh, churches out there where they're trying to kind of combine the two. Yeah. And I, I guess the thing is you, you can't, you can't really incorporate evolution in as someone who believes in God, mm. if you believe God tells the truth about himself. So if, you know, we believe God doesn't lie and what he says about himself is true. And he says he made everything. So we would accept that. And the science actually supports that, that, that it could not have come about by chance. So there's no re reason or need to accommodate a different belief system on top of believing in God. And I think that's, that's one of the, the, you know, the more you study science, the more that should sort of reveal itself. And that, that's what the Bible says is that in multiple places, we can talk about verses when you want to, but mm -hmm. um, the God says he created everything all the way from the universe itself down to individual life and its existence. He says he did it and he, and he says why he did it. Um, so yeah. And, and the science back whether you, you look at it from a physics point of view or a molecular biology point of view, um, from, from every different angle, it can be shown to be so complex and, and so improbable that it ever would have happened without a designer instigating it and, and setting it all in place the way even the editor says that, you know, each plant is created with its own seed, creating that exact, you know, apple trees were made with apples, with the seeds that would make apples and that, you know, cats were made to make cats and humans were made to make humans and the evidence supports that. That's sort of, you know, David's side of things that, that the genetic complexity that it's, it's impossible for it to happen without having been created the way it is created. And it all has purpose, right? So you have a look at how the molecular mechanisms work. They have purpose behind them for certain tasks. And it's uh, an intellectual uh, design behind it to actually cause those tasks to, to, to happen. That's a great point. Uh, because otherwise, if, if you are thinking about the Big Bang and, and um, well, science's ex explanation through evolution of, you know, the origin of, of everything on the Earth, um, if everything just kind of random, I mean, that sort of feels like it, that kind of gives me an empty <laughs> feeling. Like, what's the, what was the point, you know? There has to be a point. There has to be a purpose. Do you think a better question of, like, with the bang, Big Bang Theory they're kind of looking at the universe and and looking at how things move around in, in space and assuming that they've always moved in that in that direction and in, in that way and just put it in reverse and that's how they sort of came back with that came back to that big bang theory right to that one first uh, reaction kind of like what we what they think of how how everything was was created in space they just put it in reverse by, by how everything moves around, I guess. It's like the most layman's term I think I can think of to explain it. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they base it on the fact from as well as I understand it, and it's been sort of a year since I was reading lots and lots about this, but yeah. it's only been about 100 years um, that they have believed in something 
like a Big Bang and like a, a starting point for the universe. It's only been just over 100 years. Um, and it's based on the fact that about 100 years ago, using the telescopes, they had um, somebody who was ignored for ooh, probably the first 10, 15 years that he was saying it, saying, no, the universe is expanding. The, un the universe isn't static. I can see that things are shifting and moving away. Um, and, oh, no, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous that the universe is static. It's Everything is sitting exactly how it was. And he said, well, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. One of, some of the people who weren't believing him, one of those was even Einstein, who altered his own um, mathematical theorem because he, he kept getting this result saying, no, the universe looks like it's, it's expanding, but we know that's not the case. So he actually altered his own mathematical theorem, what he was working on, finally about 10 or 15 years later when he couldn't deny the evidence anymore said okay you're right the universe is expanding and it was at that point that the idea of the big bang as as a central starting point that singularity they said no there, we now do believe there was a single starting point to this universe and ironically the bible has always claimed that the very first verse in the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, heavens being universe. The Bible had always said that. And it's only been about 100 years ago since scientists have agreed with that. And, and some of them fought against it for as long as they could, saying, no, 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 that no. You know, scientific wisdom and scientific theory shows that the, the universe is static. There is no movement. No, 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 that cannot be true. Till finally they couldn't deny it anymore. Meanwhile, everyone who believed in creation was saying, we told you there was a starting point to right. this universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you guys know about uh, like carbon dating? Uh, you, you're, you're measuring something. Okay. So you know, what happens over a period of time? Do you know every single step of the way? Is it controlled that you can actually go back and say, okay, yes, this is accurate. Mm -hmm. We can do that over short periods of time because we control that period of time mm -hmm. over a large period of time. We, we're not there to observe. And, and really um, tightly controlled circumstances and experiments. I mean, that's the thing. Experiments um, aren't usually ecologically valid, if I can put that, that term in there, because under lab conditions, you've controlled everything. You know all the variables and you've controlled the oxygen levels and whatever else it is. But in the real world out there, you can't control everything. You don't know what little tiny change would then negate all your findings and and that is that is sometimes you know and you research will find something and not that they don't find something but they find something under such strictly controlled circumstances where other things have been eliminated it, it only and again here here's the argument for a creator for a designer mm -hmm. the scientist under those lab create you know lab conditions he created those lab conditions for that exact outcome to occur how, how do you think if it, if it takes that much careful control under, you know, highly educated, well-trained scientists with the best tools and chemicals and everything else they have, and, and they finally, after many years of trial and error, can finally get one finding to work, and David could speak to this, yeah. <laughs> how do you think that happened by accident with all the variables that you didn't control if it was all just happening by itself out there? How 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 do you not understand that that God did it? That He was the the grand scientist who who had everything in His power and His control, and He didn't need to rely on chance. 
So. Yeah, but you can even think of a simple a simple concept of drug discovery, right? You, you, you start testing your you know, drug of interest on a single cell, all right? And then, you, then you'll take it up to a, you, you say, okay, well, it's working under this controlled environment with a single cell looking at a single. Let's take it up to a more complex environment and put it into a mouse. Then, okay, well, look, we've done it in the mouse now. Now we need to take it to a more complex environment and maybe it'd be another system together before it even gets to a trial where it's working on humans, right? Because mm -hmm. as you go up in complexity, you have to control for it. And there are variables within each complexity, level of complexity, which can alter what that drug was doing in the first place. Mm -hmm. So you have to be uh, in a very controlled environment to actually know what's going on to reason the mm -hmm. answer. And even on, on that, um, you know, drug, you know, trials and that kind of a thing, some of the things that they control for are in the drug trials, it's most often healthy, young males with no other health conditions. It is so tightly controlled even then. So, you know, so that, that's a question that comes up with, with drug trials. So even when, when some findings are coming out, you do have to know, well, what were the, what were the variables? What were you controlling and what were you not leaving open to chance? Because your results would not have come out if you had mm. just left it so, to occur naturally. And that's the ecological validity is, okay, it happened in the lab, shown it happening out there on its own. Mm. So take that back to the carbon dating we started on. Uh, it, again, it's, it's an, a carbon dating is in an uncontrolled environment. Mm -hmm. So you don't know what's what's causing the breakdown of carbon over time. You know, right. what what is, is there environmental factors that cause quicker breakdown or it, does it, it prolong prolong the breakdown? So there's different things you have to consider. It's a lot of yeah. assumption. If it's not in a controlled environment, they're just assuming exactly. Yeah. And fossils yeah. in the side of a mountain doesn't sound like a controlled environment <laughs> at all. That's kind of I I know they base a lot of a lot off of uh evolution off of um, fossils found that are different in um, maybe one part of the earth and then deeper down, you know, the fossil is different and they assume that this, this was the same thing that, that adapted over, over time. And that, that sort of thing is, as I understand it. Yeah. But and then knows? that's, <laughs> it's good to sort of put that in there that, you know, the things we don't know or the things, you know, if people want a theory and again, a theory is just a proposition, you know, based on known evidence, um, you do have to make assumptions. And sometimes you, you know, you look far enough back to a theory, you go, if such and such is true, then. So always just look back at that if statement, because if that if statement is pretty tenuous and there's not a lot of support for it even being plausible, mm. which is what we're talking about with that, the probability of these things occurring accidentally if the if statement in that theory is implausible every then that comes after it, if this happened then da, 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 da. and a lot of people forget to go back to that original if statement they go ah then this 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 ah and based on that then this 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 and it's just a chain of assumptions often mm -hmm. so I, I think it always really pays to read really really critically really really carefully consider all the evidence you can never go wrong you I, I've, I'm very firm, and so is David, firmly believe that there's nothing to be scared of in looking at science and looking really, really carefully and in depth, great depth, at all the evidence anybody puts forward and all the evidence that could ever be found. I genuinely believe you will never find anything that will disprove God. 
and, and what David has found, and, and he loves to talk about this with the youth group, is the more closely he looked at cells and at, you know, the life process, the more convinced he became that God existed. It, it never disproved it for him. I, I have still never, I read in physics and I read all, in all kinds of different areas because I just love it. There's never been anything. And there are a lot of scientists, even ones who don't want to declare a faith in a God as such. Mm -hmm. There are many scientists who say, we don't have the answers. All we know is that there is evidence of this being intentionally designed. So there are many scientists who don't claim to be Christian, who don't even claim to, to accept a higher being that say some, there was something more out there. There was something that started all of this and it was oh, bigger yeah. than all of it. Yeah, you hear that a lot. And what you just said, great point. And it really, I think that's a great way to wrap up the first part.